today's podcast is officially sponsored by My Crew Doses. Yes, your ears do not deceive you officially. Amanita muscaria. That is a mushroom, ladies and gentlemen. And this particular blend helps you sleep, helps you rest. Flip like a log. I think I, I tallied nine, maybe ten hours of straight sleep. Usually I get up. Usually I go up to go pee. Not this time. I didn't check my bed. I might have wet myself, but it doesn't matter. I got nine hours of deep sleep. Vivid dreams as well. So if you guys are interested in this stuff, you have to be 18 or older to use this, by the way. If you're interested in this type of thing, go to MyCrewDoses.com. And at checkout, use promo code THECHAMBER. Get you a little 10% off. All right, boom, and we're live. Today, I'm with someone that acts as a mental pillow for your brain, metaphorically speaking. She's the, the damn keysmith when you, when you done locked your mental keys in your car. In some cultures, she might be referred to as a witch, a warlock, a wizard. I'm here with none other than the wellness psychotherapist, Victoria Rivera. Thanks for being here and spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, sure. Hey, do you currently have a private practice in New York City? Is that what I read? I do. I do. As a matter of fact, it's like in the heart of New York City. I'm right across the street from Macy's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Small little store. Maybe you might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Mostly during the uh, the Christmas years, I hear that. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So do you get a lot of traffic then because of where you're located? I do. I do. And that's actually the reason why I chose this area because in New York, we do not have cars generally um unless you like live like in the outskirts of some of the the um the other boroughs so trains are the way that we travel so every train comes to 34th street which is great so i get a lot of it's easy for my patients and people that i see to come in yeah yeah if i was shopping at macy's during the uh, the busy season i'd probably pop on over too just because of how stressed out i was all these damn people in line oh <laughs> need to yes. clear my mind. Yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of foot traffic, which can actually cause a lot of stress uh, for people coming to see me. Anyway, there, there's only one of you. Yeah. So, so like, what's the what's the process there? They have to call in advance. You got to like book it two weeks in advance, or how does that work? So, how it generally works, if you want to see a therapist, is you. I mean, if you want to use your insurance, you go through your insurance, and you'll look to see if the the clinician is like a part of your, the insurance panel. But a lot of times people will just Google like therapists near me and they'll get on like psychology today or Hello Alma or headway, which are all three really great resources FYI for people to find therapists because that seems to be the biggest obstacle to finding a therapist. And then once uh, you find a couple of people, you reach out. So you'd reach out to me and then we'd have a conversation over the phone, like 15 minute consultation. And most therapists, that's what they do. Yeah. And then, you know, you schedule uh, an appointment to, to meet with me or with the therapist. And honestly, like the most important thing that we know in therapy is not the modality. So it's not cognitive behavioral or psychodynamic or psychoanalysis. It's really the relationship that you are able to build with that therapist. And that's why it's so important, like as you're looking for somebody to really find somebody that you like and that you feel like you can trust. Does it make a difference um, if it's face-to-face or over Zoom? Like, is there a missing element when it's not in person? Yes, I, I think so. But I have to say, 
because we've gotten so used to Zoom that people are more comfortable with it. Uh, but in my opinion, there's so much communication that's happening with our body language. Uh, I think, you know, there, the statistic is like what over 50%, 58% or something through our body language. So our facial expressions, but not just our, like our face and our hands. And you can probably see that through Zoom, but you know, it's our feet, it's our legs, um, all of these things that our body does that we unconsciously are interpreting uh, when we're in a, the room with somebody. And that just, I mean, that's it for social situations, but that particularly is helpful in therapy. And that's why, you know, when I do meet with somebody, per, you know, for the first time, I do want to see them in person mm. because you do miss out on that when you're, uh, when you're doing Zoom. Yeah. Well, was there a huge problem? And I'm sure like this might be more evident in the future as well. Like when uh, we had to wear masks as COVID, like not not the adults, but mostly the kids that are learning the the facial recognition and they're going through like this, this very serious age and they can't identify like the mouth movements and the facial features. Is that a huge problem you see coming down the pike? I, you know, I think kids are so resilient. So I think that because it was a brief time, I mean, it was a long time, long enough time, but I think it was a brief time and they were still seeing their parents face. I'm sure, you know, their grandparents and, you know, other people. So, so it might not be, uh, that might not be the issue really. I think the issue generally is that, uh, not being in person in, in, and actually having that physical uh, presence with somebody, I think that more than the mask probably will be. We'll, we'll, we'll see some of the remnants of that. I mean, we already see that now because I don't know if you know, there's just been an increase in, in mental health issues among teens and, and, and kids. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with like, you know, the, with COVID and what happened. Uh, yeah. Can yeah. you can you delve into that just a little bit more about like um, the uptick? Like what is the causes mostly because of social media? No, well, I think that's a contributing factor. Oh, you know, we as humans, we want to connect, right? And social media helps us to connect and actually helps us to connect in a way that is not so dangerous. I think when you meet people in person and if you struggle with like anxiety or you struggle with just like trust and, and making connections with people, it's a little bit more challenging to feel comfortable in person. And so I think social media actually kind of helps people feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of interacting but the problem is it's not a it's not a substitute for in-person interaction so i think uh, social media can definitely influence anxiety and, and stress around around connecting with people um, but i think it's also that you know the world is a very complicated place and i'm sure you know mm-hmm. there's a lot going on right now and um that all that anxiety and all that stress that the parents have that we have as a culture and society, you know, children feel that and adolescents feel that uh, very strongly. And they don't have necessarily the ability to compartmentalize or to set yeah. the boundaries. And some adults don't even have that ability. Right. right? right. So, yeah. so, so I think it's just much more difficult for them ar- around that. So social media definitely does play a role, but I think it's just our larger society and all the things that are kind of going on right now that are overwhelming and stressful. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. We'll, we'll probably touch back on that, but I want to take a couple steps back first. I want to know 
how does one get into the art of psychotherapy? Like, did you invite a few friends over to a sixth grade lunch table and start poking around <laughs> in their brain? Or how does this work? You know, it's funny, Jay, that you asked that. You know, as I've been in the field for a long time, for over 20 years now. And when I first started, I would have never guessed that I got into it because I, I was troubled myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have said to you 20 years ago, oh, I just really want to help people. I want to like, you know, do my part in the world. And yes, I still do want to do that. And I'm still doing that. Um, but I think after kind of supervising other therapists and, and like understanding my own journey, I think, you know, when we have had our own history of trauma or, or just stuff kind of going on in our families, uh, we want some, some of us who are like really sensitive and empaths, you may have heard of that term before, like we're just much more likely to, to want to help other people. And so then we get into this field wanting to help other people when yeah. in reality, we're actually kind of trying to work on and manage some stuff within ourselves. And I think that uh, I wasn't doing this when I was in the sixth grade, uh, but I did kind of have, I do remember like in my family being the person that people would come to and, and talk to about stuff. Cause I was not as, I mean, I wasn't judgmental and yeah. I was open and yeah. I, I, di- I did also give some unsolicited advice to my siblings who, you know, didn't really like that, but um, now Where did I know. your advice come from? Like, is it because of your experiences when you were younger? Like, how were you giving people advice at a at a younger age? Yeah, well, you know, I've always had kind of a strong sense of like, oh, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. I was a little bit of a goody two shoes growing up. So, um, you know, my my siblings would kind of act out or do something, and then I'd say, oh, you're going to get in trouble. You shouldn't do that. You should be doing this. You know, my sister started smoking cigarettes. I was like, you know, it's so bad for you. Um, we got a lot of when I was younger and growing up in the nineties and um, the in the eighties at nineties and eighties. Um, we got a lot of uh, uh, public service announcements around all the things that you shouldn't shouldn't be doing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I really internalized that, and then I just told my siblings what they should and shouldn't be doing. And they didn't listen, though. So, <laughs> so are you the oldest one out of all of them? You would think, right? I'm the second I would oldest. Definitely think. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm the second oldest. <laughs> you said you got 20 years in the business, and you look so young. Did you start when you were six? Like, geez, that's crazy. <laughs> I appreciate it, and yeah. a part, yeah. Well, a part of the work that I do too is not just like helping people to understand how their minds and their brains work. But it is really about what are some of the choices that you make in your daily life that are impacting your mental health and wellness that you wouldn't even think of, like nutrition, how you're yeah. sleeping, whether you're getting outside, and all of these things are cumulative. And I think because I've been, you know, learning about them, I practice them myself. I, I may look a, a bit younger than my age, um, which is actually great because then it shows people that like, if you do do these things that are healthy for yourselves. Hell yeah. Yeah. You, you can like, you know, you can look good and feel good and have good mental health and wellness. What are some of the, uh, the main causes for people that work remotely, like work at home of uh, let's say mental health issues? So I mean, it, it. I think the things that that are missing when you're working from home is the 
to kind of go back to the earlier point around disconnecting uh, from colleagues and coworkers, having that time uh, to spend with people that's not just like around work. It's kind of limited when you're when you're working from home. You're kind of just going to meetings sometimes actually even multitasking during meetings. So you're not necessarily really paying attention. Whereas if you're, you know, by the water cooler with Sally, you're having a conversation about a show that you saw last night or whatever movie you're streaming, you know, there's, there's something that um, is happening in terms of our social wellness that is missing. And, and, and of course it's also like, you know, our occupational like wellness and, 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 and well-being too, but the, but that social piece gets, kind of like lost. And the other thing I would say too is, you know, a lot of times people were going, you know, they were commuting, whether in their car or the train, and that's self-care and self like time to reflect um, or to listen to a podcast or just kind of decompress either before or after work, before you kind of get into like, you know, the separate life, you know, life side or the work side. And I think that that's kind of has been missing too, that there's not a lot of, um, there's a, there's a bleeding between the two and that's people have struggled around that in terms of their mental health when, um, working from home. What what comes to my mind is like people, how could you not feel like you're constantly on the clock when your, your work is at home? Like a a lot of the, the sayings is like, don't bring your work home with you. Well, now work is home. So I, I see like a, a giant conflict there, yeah. you know, like how, how do you, how are you able to like detach from that? I know a lot of people that work from home and it's like, they'll just pop on their laptop real quick at 9 PM. Like I, I'm guilty of that as well. Just like try and get some extra work done. I mean, it's right. fine, but at the same time you need that break. But I mean that it just seems so blurred when you're working from home, like when's time off, when, when's my time, you know? Yeah. Well, it is blurred. How, how have you been able to do it? I, I take a lot of breaks and I go, <laughs> I go work out. Yeah. Like I'll go, uh, I'll go to the gym at two o'clock every single day and work out. And that's my time. And my boss knows it and I'll go out for walks. I'll go fishing a little bit. And you know, I, I need my time. I need my time. It's so important to me because mental health, I struggle with it as well. And I have to start putting myself first sometimes, you know, because if I'm not in a happy place or in a good place, how can I possibly do good at my job? How can I possibly be a good friend? How can I possibly be a good dad? You know, all these things, it all starts with you, you know, and you got to have these conversations with yourself. And I've just been a lot more aware of how I'm doing mentally. And I really, really try to take care of that thing first. Right. So you just answered your own question, which is amazing. But so I'll highlight what you said to everybody was one is that you have to put yourself first and you have to set boundaries around your time. Right. And you have to do things that, you know, that, that help you to feel better. So that two o'clock exercise every day, you're, you're doing it. Um, And then having an awareness of how you're feeling. And sometimes, you know, it's hard because depending upon what's going on in your life, that structure that you have already that like kind of stabilizes your mental health can get a little off kilter if there's like a stressor or, you know, like something's going on in the world that's overwhelming and stressful. And so then that's when you would have to increase a lot of these activities of self-care 
and also spending time with, you know, your kids, spending time with your partner, like all of those things help to like kind of build that, that reservoir of battery that you need to actually like do your work, you know, and go about being in the world. Right. So I love what you said about that. It's really having like some structured things that you know that you need to do in order to take care of yourself. You have any tips off the top of your mind, like what people can do to to start their day, like if they're going through a, a rough period, you know, mentally, like, yeah. is there anything, some changes that they can make? Well, there's a lot of things that people could do. It's it's really trying to figure out what works for you. And yeah. what I find the most challenging thing for people is kind of consistency, right? So we, we, everybody knows like what's good for them. Like, and you know, there's lots of research around things that are good for us to do that we might not necessarily put as a priority, like meditating, for example, going for a walk, exercising, um, drinking water, having like good whole foods. Like we know all of these things are good for ourselves. It's really trying to figure out what's going to work for you in your morning routine. So what I usually tell the people that I work with, um, and also the employees that I work with when I do my wellness stuff, um, is take a look at what you do in the morning already. Like many of us, we have habits that we do. A lot of times people will tell me, Oh, I just like, you know, I look at my phone, I kind of like hit the snooze button. I go to the bathroom. I look at my phone while I'm in the bathroom. Maybe I'll take a shower. And so then you kind of start like taking maybe one of those things that you don't want to be doing and doing something that you think would be more beneficial and helpful. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there's this great book called The Mir Miracle Morning. I think it's by, by Hal, Hal El Elrod. Have you ever heard of it before, Jay? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm interested, though. Yeah. So it's he, I, forgive me if I, I, some of the details I might get wrong, but he was, he wanted to have the most productive morning ever. He like did all this research on millionaires and billionaires and what do they do in the morning to like kind of start their day. And um, a lot of times they get up fairly early between four and six o'clock in the morning. Jeepers. Um, yeah, I know. Right. And then they do uh one of six things, and hopefully I can get it, like maybe a visualization, reading, some yeah. sort of movement, uh, writing, mm. like a breathing, and oh gosh, there's one more that I'm like blanking out of. Smell a crisp $100 bill? <laughs> that would actually <laughs> probably be very helpful. <laughs> Activate something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's actually affirmations. Affirma yeah, oh, I mean. So that would be affirmation. And so he started doing all of those things every morning, and he calls it the miracle morning. So he wrote a book about it. But but all of those, any one of those things are very helpful. Uh, for me, like what I usually do is movement. So even if I don't get a chance to go to the gym in the morning, I'll, I'll do like a 10-minute yoga, I'll like – I do not want to get out of bed, but reluctantly I do it. I have my yoga mat out and I just go on YouTube and mm -hmm. I watch this 10 minute like morning yoga, which is really just like stretching and moving and breathing. So that incorporates two. And then I do like a little bit of a meditation, like after that. And that's yeah. like my morning routine that helps get me. And I think people just have to figure out what it is will help to get them like, you know, kind of started for the day. I do the same thing. I do a stretch or yoga. And at the same time, I'm doing like a, a mental preparation, I guess. And I'll tell you, 
that simple 10 minutes every morning has done wonders for me. I think it's going to add on like 10 years to my life. I feel so good. Like my body, I'm 35 years old and I'm still very active, still play a lot of sports. And I felt like my body was starting to get a little bit stiff after these activities. And I actually kind of felt like I was getting old after I would play these sports. And once I started incorporating the stretches, just a simple <laughs> 10 minute stretch, people like, good Lord, I feel like I'm back in my twenties. I feel so good. I feel good on the ice too. It does wonders. And I've been taking the ice baths and everyone on the podcast that listens knows this because I rave about it. Oh, I do too. Do you have one? No, I don't. I just buy ice from the, I need to get one, but I, I buy ice from the store and just plop it into my bathtub. The water gets cold out here right now because it's okay. getting a little bit chilly outside, but yeah, I'll get it to like around 45 degrees, hop in that thing for about four minutes. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, it feels so good. It does. And you know what, Jay? It's one of the best things for anxiety. Oh, it's, oh my God. Yeah. I, I was talking about it. Like, Okay, so I took an ice bath, and this is when I, I was first starting it. So I took this ice bath, and then normally, if I'm driving on the highway during like a a lot of like a, there's a lot of rain during a storm, I'll mm -hmm. kind of get a little tense, a little anxious. That was all gone. All of that melted away. It was all gone. There was no fear. There was no anxiety because, and I can contribute it to the ice bath that I took prior before getting on the road. It was crazy. I felt wow. so good, and yeah, it was so wild. Yeah, it is. It is pretty wild, like what that does, mm -hmm. and the and the struggle that a lot of people have with it, which I totally understand, because I was like this too before I started doing it, is that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be cold and they're gonna freak yep. out. But yep. that's exactly what you want your body to do, yeah. Because what you're doing, and and I'm sure you know this, um, is you're getting your body into that fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is you're breathing through because your body's telling you, get the heck out of here. This is too yeah. cold. We're going to die. Yeah. Like, you need to get out. And that's, that's actually, that's anxiety. That's fear. That's the anxiety really is the, your body's reaction to stress. But a lot of times you won't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as strong as like a cold plunge, but, it, but that's the, that's the response. And so if you're able to do the cold plunge and you're able to breathe through that, calm your nervous system down, which I'm sure, you know, you do like, cause the first thing is like your body's like, Oh, freaking out. Yeah. You start breathing. Your heart rate starts like getting escalated yep. and you just want to get out, but you breathe through it. You calm your nervous system down. And while you're doing that, I mean, there's so many benefits too around what's happening in your body in terms of, I just was listening to a podcast and, you know, they said that like your liver releases these specific cells that like help and clean out what they call cell autophagy, clean yeah. out, um, you know, dying cells or cancerous cells. Oh my God. Um, you, 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 uh, get brown fat, which helps burn the, the white fat. I mean, there's so many different things that it's helpful for, but I, but I love it for anxiety and helping people to calm their nervous system down. And it sounds like that's exactly what happens to you when you do it mm -hmm. and you, that you've learned to be able to like not have your body react when something like uh, driving. Yeah. Driving in a storm. Yeah. A storm. Yeah. It can, yeah. I, I find that I, I perform so much better, uh, playing sports. Like I'll, I it's, it's a mission now that I have to hop into that ice bath before I go perform. And my awareness is probably like, like a thousand percent better. Like my eyes are just naturally 
more open. I don't know what it is. Something gets activated in my brain and my eyes are just, I can feel it. I can physically feel it. My eyes are more open. It's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. When you get out of that bath, there's like, you can just feel the endorphin rush in your brain. Just like, oh God, it feels so good. (laughs) Well, it feels good. But you know, for me, the worst part is when getting like getting out and then having to warm your body back up. And I try to do it as naturally as possible. Oh, yeah. But that's like, that's hard. You don't like that? I actually like that a lot. (laughs) I feel like it's coming coming out or coming inside after being outside in a nice cold like 30 degree day just doing some work out there and you come in and it's like a nice cozy blanket waiting for you and just got hot chocolate like that's what it feels like when I step out of that bathtub I don't know I put myself in a a nice little mindset there I guess (laughs) yeah I do that in the shower so when like I'll I'll do the last minute of my shower cold oh you're nuts especially during the winter. Well, but especially during the winter in New York, I try not to have the heat on. And so my apartment is cold and then it feels even cold. Like it feels warm. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're a wild one. All right. Well, you know, well, these are all like, you know, kind of biology and physiology thing, physiological things that we could do that actually like not yeah. only help our uh, physical health, but our mental health as well. Yeah. Well, what kind of vitamins would you recommend people should be taking every day? I I always recommend, and I'm not a doctor or anything, but what's been helping me is uh, vitamin D and vitamin K and a multivitamin. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, well, I'm not a doctor either. Uh, you should talk to your doctors about this. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I, the, from the research that I have learned around mental health and wellness and, and what things, you know, we have to take a, a moment and just say that the, the food that we have here in the U.S. is mm-hmm. not as nutrient dense as it should be. And so there's certain nutrients that we're that we are probably missing in our diet. Yeah. And you could actually get a blood test uh, from your doctor. I think they may charge you, but because um, it's a, but and you can test to see if you have any nutrient deficiencies. Some mm-hmm. common nutrient deficiencies is exactly what you just said is vitamin D. Yeah. And your body needs vitamin K and A, I think, to also to absorb it better. So um, there's that. But a lot of vitamin D, I think, does come like mixed with something. So it's more bioavailable. Yeah. Uh, you can also go out in the sun and get it. Um, but a lot of us still, <laughs> depending on where you live, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. In some states, you can get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 then also, I would say magnesium. Uh, there's been a lot of studies and research around magnesium and anxiety and how people actually might not have enough magnesium in their diet. And so they're they're more anxious. And then when they do end up taking magnesium, especially at night to, like, to help them sleep. I was going to bring helps. that up. Yeah, I take yeah. magnesium before I sleep and it helps so much. I get I find myself uh, getting into a REM state like quicker and deeper. Yes. Yeah. 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 It helps relax your muscles. So it's doing something to your nervous system and to your body um, that, you know, that is very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, omega three actually too. Yeah. Omega three fish oil has been, especially EPA has been shown to be very helpful with not only like heart issues, but an in inflammation, but also, uh, depression and anxiety too. Yeah. He's around, um, around that. So those would be the three main yep. ones that I would suggest that you talk to your doctor about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, of course. Yes. But also, too, you know, there's been some controversy around, like, you know, multivitamins and whether or not they're good, you know, they're bioavailable if your body yeah. can even use them or not. You know, I always just say, look, it's better than nothing. And if, you, you know, if you even believe that it's working and you're getting benefit from it, then, you know, why why not take it? That good old placebo effect sometimes. I mean, it works. Placebo is definitely a thing, right? Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to ask you, like, because psychotherapy, to me, I don't know if this is right or wrong. It sounds like, is that a broad word? Like, there's more spectrums to psychotherapy, or is it just psychotherapy? Because, like, I want to know what, like, you specifically, is there, like, stuff you specifically get into, or is it just psychotherapy? So psychotherapy is, that's a really great question, Jay. I don't know if I've ever really kind of thought about it, but um, how I see, I guess I'll just define it how I, how I see it. Psychotherapy is really like building a relationship with somebody who, and and being kind of on a journey of healing is what I, is how I would describe it. Okay. Um, And yeah. And there's different ways, different, like each therapist is different, you know, like I mentioned before, modalities, particularly, um, there's like CBT, there's, there's, uh, yeah, psychodynamic, right. there's like a psychoanalytic, there's interpersonal, there's like, I mean, there's like a million of them. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what was, what was the motivation? Like, what, what, what are you trying to your overall goal? when you're, when you're meeting with clients, like, I know it's not just a one-time thing. This is like a a long road for people, but like, can you take me through a journey of, obviously we can't get into specifics, but what a journey of like a a generic person, I guess, that walks into the office, what it looks like. Let's say they're having uh, an issue with their, their spouse. Like, what does that look like from beginning to end? How long does that take? And like, what, what sort of things do you go through? Okay. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Uh, so let me see if I can do this justice. Yeah. It's- <laughs> you know, a lot of times people will come in and they'll say, maybe they'll be specific and say, oh, you know, I'm having trouble like kind of communicating with my spouse or I'm having okay. problems with my spouse. But usually it comes to that they're feeling anxious mm-hmm. uh, and overwhelmed and maybe even like depressed, sad, or like kind of going through some grief. So if they are having a problem with their spouse. Now you have to imagine you picked out this person, you fell in love Mm -hmm. with this person, you got married to this person. And then, you know, as people grow, things shift and change and communicating is so important. Being able to uh, understand each other's love language is important. Mm -hmm. Attachment styles is important. And a lot of times what ends up happening is there starts to get like kind of a mismatch around that. And so then that causes um, anxiety for both partners generally. And, you know, they will come to the office saying that they feel anxious or sad or depressed or overwhelmed around something that's going on with their, with their relationship. And so it's our job, well, my job as a therapist, but our job as a dyad, me and the patient to understand kind of like what's happening Oftentimes people will blame the other person. They're not listening to me. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. Um, And obviously I can't tell the other person what they're not doing because they're not in my office. (laughs) So it's really the, the patient that's with me. And I always tell them, look, you know, we can change the dynamic just by doing therapy together. 
because if you shift and change the way in which you respond and interact with somebody, they will shift and change too. And, and really it's about kind of untangling some of the things that um, make it a challenge to start to change how my, the patient that I'm working with is interacting with their partner. Is there a, like a commonality between like why people shift, like their their emotion shift or like why they're being shift? Is there this, this commonality that you're noticing or is it just so different because it's like tailored to each person? It's so different. Well, it's tailored to each person, but I do, <clears throat> I do think that, you know, what ends up coming up, there's some commonalities around like attachment style. I'm sure you probably have heard of that. Um, there's a really great book attached. I don't know who the author is, but it's a like layman's terms around attachment style. And it's pretty like 80, 85% like accurate around when you have to think like this, the neural pathways that we've created as a child with our parents set those same, like really like our relationships are very similar. Like that, they, that set the stage for our relationships when we get older with friends uh, but particularly with partners. And so when you are with a partner, uh, initially things are generally okay. And then after a while, some attachment stuff starts to get triggered. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of helping people to figure out what that dynamic of attachment is getting triggered and how to like address that. So I'm sure you probably have heard of like, so the attachment styles are like anxious attached, avoidantly attached or secure. And I think that like, you know, we like to think of things as black and white, but, you know, you can be slightly anxious, sometimes slightly avoidant sometimes and, and how that like dynamic was expressed with your early childhood generally, not yeah. also, but generally, um, you can see the, the parallel. And so you, ha so I help the patient to kind of connect that and then start to make shifts and changes within their dynamic of their relationship so that they can communicate better or Im improve the and improve their relationship. So, okay. You brought up some good points. What, what plays more of a role in the development of individuals? Like they're in, in I guess in the development of their personality, is it environment or nurture? Or is it like, if my dad gives me a strap because I threw a rock through a car window, like, will that change me? Like stuff like what, what's more responsible? I, Jay, if you know the answer, you let me know. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and I'm saying this because we owe our brains always want to think in black and white and it's a mix. And it's like, you know, you can have the same, you can have a twin and have the same exact experience, but yeah. your personalities, your characteristics are different. The way you interpret like what your father did is different. It's, it's so like, it's so, cha it's so challenging to like, know specifically what. It's so wild. Yeah. Me and my brother, we grew up in the same household, except we are two completely different people. It's the wildest thing. Everyone that meets us are like, dude, you guys are completely different. What the hell? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and I would say to that though, there are some things that we do know, like, you know, we know about prenatal like stress and environment, like, you know, obviously my brother was a premature baby. Right, exactly. So then that would have Nailed impacted it. him in a very different way. Like he started off life differently, but even before then, and uh, I mean, even, I mean, if you want to go really crazy, even way before then, the when your um, mother was in her grandmother's womb. Oh my God, really? 
she was creating uh, she, she was creating you half of uh, your that like her eggs were being created isn't that crazy you're gonna you're gonna make my head explode i know so anything that your grandmother went through while she was pregnant with your uh, with your mother any stress oh or anything like that that impacts your mom as the fetus and her the development of her and her eggs and That's therefore insane. impacted you uh, yes exactly it's wow, crazy then that timeline you just like expand on that i mean there have been some nasty times that people were living through you know and that gets passed on yeah, exactly. So that's why it's so hard to like kind of answer that question in nature nurture. It's like a complicated mix. And it's I think you answered it beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I like and that's why I love therapy. And that's why I love, you know, practicing it and being in therapy myself is because, you know, there's so many different contributing factors. And once you have that awareness, like you were saying earlier around around that, like it's like, oh, Oh, I'm like this because of this. Oh, okay. So then I can start to shift and change. I, I get anxious. I get anxious when, you know, I feel like my partner is, is, is ignoring me. Oh, that comes from, you know, feeling that same way when my mom ignored yeah. me, when I felt like my mom ignored me. Oh, okay. But she's not my mom. And my mom wasn't meaning to ignore me, but she was taking care of my brother who was, you know, sick or, you know, like all of these things. And so you start to like, kind of shift the narrative. Uh, yeah. Well, first understand that there's a narrative and then shift it to something that's more helpful and actually do physical uh, and behavioral things that are helpful to live. I, what, I, what I always you know, say at the end of the day, we don't know why we're here, but a more purposeful and meaningful life. Right. So that's right, like. Right. Do you see a lot more trust issues now in comparison to when you first started in the industry? And the reason why I bring that up is because what we touched on a little bit earlier with social media. I mean, now everyone. Like back in the day, the only people that you interacted with were people basically in your vicinity, you know, like at your school, your neighbors, your job, that was it. But now it's expanded to basically worldwide. You can contact anyone. You can look at anyone. Now you're kind of comparing yourself to most of the time elite level people who have infinite money and can just like dial themselves up. So it's like a lot of insecurities that are going on. So I just wanted to ask if, if there's a lot of a lot more trust issues now in comparison to when you first started, because I think you got in like maybe right on the brink of social media, maybe even before. Yeah, yeah, definitely a little bit before. Um, that's a really great question. And I think it's kind of hard to answer because I, I do. I definitely agree with your point where, you know, before we were in smaller tribes or smaller communities. Mm -hmm. And didn't have access to all this information of what other people are doing and weren't comparing ourselves. Yeah. Um, but it is true that, you know, as you have more people in your life or, or, you know, more contact around other people, you know, we as humans, our whole thing is we want to uh, stay alive and procreate. And so part of staying alive, and I know this kind of sounds like a weird way to answer the question, but, but I think it's helpful. Part of staying alive is you have to be wary of who you connect with, who you don't connect with. And it becomes challenging if you have so many things kind of going on and people around, you don't, and there's like the news and in social media, there's oh, yeah. like always like something negative that's happening. And so your brain t has a tendency to overinflate that because it's trying to protect yourself. It's trying to keep you safe and it's trying to keep you alive. And so 
I would I would say generally, I do think there is a lot of a lot more distrust than there probably was in the yeah. past overall. But again, that's kind of like a hard question to answer. But but I would say I I would I think I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to hear your point of view. Yeah, I mean, it's logical. You're making sense. I agree. Um, What are your thoughts on being alone, like alone time? Like, do you see that as significantly helpful, but there should be this balance to where you have alone time, but also being out socially? Oh, I that depends too. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's the big five. I don't know if you've heard of this before. Um, Lay them out. Five personality traits, right? Ocean. So, um, ocean. Yeah, the, the acronym is ocean. And uh, the first one is, oh my gosh, I'm going to like conscientiousness, uh, extroversion, oh, openness, openness, conscientiousness, openness. extroversion um uh agreeableness and neuroticism well okay i don't even know half of those words so you're doing just fine. All right. <laughs> so, so openness is the degree of openness somebody has and we're all kind of on a spectrum and people who are a little bit more open are just a little bit more you know not as judgy like able to kind of accept new experiences and new things conscientiousness is just you know somebody who is conscientious around the world and uh like a little bit more organized uh, kind of needs to have like things in black and white in, in many ways. Um, mm. Extroversion, which uh, the opposite is introversion. So that's that's the one that I want to highlight here because that is we're all on a spectrum of that. And some people are extremely extroverted, and some people are pretty introverted. And then there's like people who are meet like me, who are, who's an ambivert, where like a mix. Like I need to have people in my life, and I need to connect on a daily basis, sometimes not a daily basis. I can go a day or two without talking to anybody or, um, then, or where they need the, they're introverted, where they need to kind of like be within themselves and kind of refill their battery. So people who are extroverts, they need people to fill their battery introverts. They need to be alone to fill their battery. And there's some people again, like that are in the middle. So, um, when we talk about loneliness, and being alone, it really depends on where you are in that spectrum of introversion and, and extroversion. Is there a test we can take? To yes, see what we there are? is. I, you can actually just like look it up online. It's called the Big Five Personality Traits. I know, I don't, I mean, I know he's a little bit of a controversial figure, but I think he had something. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I think, had, had, um, hey, I like Jordan Peterson uh, on lights. <laughs> I like him too. He's got a lot going on, but you know, some of it, I mean, I love the psychological breakdowns that he has. That he has yeah, he, he does a good job uh, articulating. That's what I like most about him. The way he's able to use his words to oh, explain. Yeah, yeah really he's good. He's very engaging. Yeah, really yeah. Engaging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, like, you know, you kind of have to know where you are on that spectrum. And because somebody who is introverted, they could like to be alone. But whereas somebody who's extroverted, it's very, very hard for them to be alone. Like they really feel like they get depressed. They get very sad and overwhelmed. Uh, Whereas someone who's introverted, if they're around people all the time, they get very overwhelmed and anxious and need to like, you know, like hide. So it's really figuring out where you are in that spectrum. Here's what's interesting is like, Stand-up comedians, a lot of stand-up comedians are like 
believe it or not, are introverts, but they go on stage in front of people to make people laugh. It's it's like a very interesting dynamic. What would you consider that? It's a hybrid of some sort. Yeah, but they would be considered mostly intro, uh, introverts. I think um, Amy Schumer actually talks about this. Mm. Yeah, that she says that she's an introvert. And one time she said that she had to kind of like hide in the bathroom at a party because she was feeling like so overwhelmed around people. I think, you know, for comedians or and for actors, too, who are more introverted, the, the, they're like there's still a separation from the audience. So they're yeah. not fully like engaging and they are getting something from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of thinking like, does that charge their battery a little bit if they get laughs and like that affirmation? Oh, that I can imagine. Oh yeah. yeah I can imagine yeah. it does. Yeah. 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 And wow. I think probably the, the, the really good comics are introverts actually. Is it now, is there a thing between this, like are introverts better at writing Oh, or is there I, just no correlation at all? You know, I don't, I don't know. I would have to look that up. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just curious. <laughs> Why, what were you considering yourself to be? I, I actually have no idea. I don't know. I love being alone. I love being alone, but I, I like my battery gets charged when I'm having podcasts like this and talking to people. Yeah. So I don't know. So you might be like more of an ambivert too, right? Where like right in the middle where you, you, you need to kind of have a connection with people, but you're also able to be on your own alone for a bit. I like hanging out with people I like, and I find it very exhausting. Let's say if I'm at like a, a work convention, you know, and there's an expo of like a bunch of people, that shit to me is exhausting, really exhausting, you know? But if I'm like hanging out with people I like, you know, and it's not considered work, I guess, then I really enjoy it. Yeah. So I, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you probably, know, I think hanging out with people. Well, this is a really good point because this is also kind of speaks to like being an empath or uh, having people that kind of drain you in your life. So if you're more sensitive to that, and I think introverts are definitely more sensitive to people who are draining, yeah. uh, they, they'll like, they'll feel overwhelmed, like at a conference or if some, or, or if somebody's kind of like, you know, suffocating in the room mm-hmm. or suffocating the room, because uh, they can feel it a lot more. They feel that energy more, I think. Yeah, I had a, uh, a coach on the other day, like a life coach on the podcast, and he was thinking that maybe I am an empath. Ah, that yeah. would make sense. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look into it more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think an empath is really just somebody who's, you know, more just sensitive to the external world and, and, and other people's energy. And I we like kind to try of, and make people happy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, because you know why a part of that really is because do you remember what we were talking about? Like we kind of co-regulate with each other. And so if somebody is, their mood is down or they feel anxious, like because you're sensitive and you feel that energy as an empath or as just a sensitive person, your body reacts to that. And there's some probably chemical thing that's going on that we haven't really quite labeled in science yet to understand that dynamic, but it definitely is true. And I, and I know that um, for me, like as a therapist, one of the early things that you really do have to learn is being attuned 
to the other person without uh, losing the groundedness within yourself. So, you know, you can have somebody who, you know, like, for example, this is an extreme example, but isn't it a manic episode? And so mm. they're like extremely anxious and overwhelmed and that can trigger you to feel anxious and overwhelmed as well. And you use that information to help diagnose, but you also ha still have to have a groundedness and not, you know, fall into that, that anxiety and overwhelm of that other person. And I think with empaths, sometimes it's hard, just, it's harder for them to learn how to do that. Um, if you haven't been like, you know, cause you're not really kind of thinking about it like that. You're just like, oh, wow. I just feel drained about this person. And I, I don't know what's going on. I'm very aware. I am very aware of what's going on. Um, like I have family members that I try to avoid just because most of the time, like I know going into it that they're going to be negative and like, and then when I do meet up with them, they're negative. Just my, my, like what I'm saying to myself in my head is I'm like, oh, they're so negative. How are you so negative about everything? It's so exhausting. So I catch it and I don't want, I don't want my aura to start going into, into their vibration, right. you know, and it, it like comes off on me. And I think a, a giant help to this is because, uh, I took, I take psychedelics and I, okay. <laughs> I become very in tune with myself and like, I'm able to, to just pick up on these vibrations. You know, I don't know. It's, it's very, it sounds crazy. I understand that it does, but I don't know. There's just like, um, an overall sense of like, I just know who I am. I can feel people's vibrations. I know what you're putting out into the world. And I try to avoid the people that are negative because they feel like literal vampires just sucking my energy because yeah. I'm, I'm not a negative person. I'm, I have this high frequency, this high energy about me. And then if you put me next to someone that is just like, oh, this sucks. Oh, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Pessimistic. I'm just like, ugh. yeah, that's hard. That's hard. It's hard. It's yeah. very hard. And and look, I think that with psychedelics, I mean, there's so much research that's coming out about it. And there's lots of major, major hospitals and, and universities that are studying the impact of it. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're going to really be seeing a lot of benefit because I think what it does is exactly what you're saying, Jay, is like it opens you up to a different way of being and being attuned and connected to yourself, but also to to other people. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that can be helpful in many ways, but like you're saying also too, when you have somebody who's more pessimistic and kind of overwhelming, it is, that is stressful for you. And you just like kind of want to get away from them because you're so attuned to it. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of people that succeed in life have done a really good job of finding people that they are on the same frequency uh, yes. with, you know, like, people that just match them. Like my brother has such good friends. They're all on the same wavelength. Every single one of them. It's hilarious to watch them interact with each other and they're all really successful. And then, whereas to me, I've always kind of, I don't know, this is like where sticking to myself, being an introvert, mostly, I suppose, like kind of harmed me because I never went out there and, and found more people that matched me. So I don't really have too many friends that were on my same exact frequency. I like just kind of like, okay, these are the first couple guys that I saw and, you know, I'm, I've been hanging out with them. So I wish if there was one thing I can do differently, I guess that would be going back and finding people that were on my same vibration, my same wavelength. 
do they listen to this podcast? I don't think so. I'll well, send it to them, what? though. <laughs> well, and you know what? That's very interesting. That if they don't listen to your podcast, then you definitely know that they're not on the same frequency as you are, right? Because right? you yeah. want friends and people to connect. I mean, that's a real that's a real challenge because you do you are starting to like you notice it and you're starting to grow. And it's really hard when somebody is not like kind of doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And your brother is very lucky that he's been able to find people that he feels similarly to and have grown with. The good news is that his best friend, his name's Luke. He listens to this podcast. Me and him hit it off. Like we are like inseparable. We get together. So there's, there's that cool link between my brother, his best friend, who basically became one of my really good friends. And he listens to this podcast and he's always there. He's he and let me stand up in his wedding. He's such a good guy. So shout out to you, Luke. Oh, nice. We all need yeah. a Luke in our life. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. We definitely, definitely do. But that is true. And, and, you know, I think breaking up with friends or moving from friends is one of the most challenging things to do because there's such a history there. But then like, you know, is there a present and future? And that's like, that's difficult. Yeah, but that's one of the most optimistic things for me, though, is like I is not knowing what the future holds. I enjoy that type of stuff because, you know, in the past, it's always kind of worked out. And I just have this optimism about me that's like, okay, well, some, something's bound to happen. I'm just going to keep grinding, keep working, like make sure my mental health is good. And, you know, things things tend to tend to lay out and do good things like yeah tend to be good so yeah no i i think that that's that's great because you have it sounds like you have been working really hard on it and yeah it's 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 hard when other people aren't doing like that same type of work but like you said you never know yeah yeah you never know and i, I wanted to um because we brought this up uh, just vaguely was jordan peterson and not him specifically but things that he's uh, involved with. I want to know what you think about the public schooling systems in America. Like, do you think they're, do you think they're failures or do you think they're okay? What do you dislike? What do you like about them? Well, I mean, well, I I don't have any kids. Okay. Um, and I do, you know, I'm, it's kind of a little, I'm a little periphery around it. So I, I don't really have like direct experience, but what I will say is like having friends that have children, a lot of them, like the most important thing is, is the schooling and where they're going to school. And, and Mm -hmm. oftentimes what I hear is there's not a lot of positive feelings around public schools. Yeah. And, um, unless like you kind of live in a, a town that's small and, yeah, it seems like there's there's a lot of issues around that, um, which is really unfortunate because I've been I grew up in a public school, but unfortunately that same public school that I grew up in, uh, my nieces and nephews uh, who are in high school or were in high school, like they haven't finished or dropped out or like don't feel safe in the same school. Oh wow! Yeah, in the same school that I went to. So yeah, so it's really. It's very sad. I mean, so I don't like I can't speak to it like generally, but I can just speak to my own personal experiences that like there is not a, a positive view around public school. And um, and I don't what does Jordan Peterson say? Jordan, Jordan Peterson, 
Peterson say about it? Well, yeah, he's mostly talking about colleges, but that is just wow. like, okay. Yeah. Well, have you read this book called The Coddling of the American Mind, or do you know about it? I, I know about it, but I haven't read it. How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. It's about just like how colleges have become way too soft almost. And um, like there's zero preparation for the real world. And if something goes sideways, like the stuff we were talking about earlier, like the anxiety, like if, if someone gets hit with that anxiety, like you're able to, to like, say, I need to go to my safe place. And they like, will literally send them to a cave with pillows and, you know, bells and whistles and all this stuff. And they don't have to, they don't have to face, face it head on. And what, what, what is that doing for, you know, the development of, I, I guess, human, humankind, mankind, you know, like, what is that going to look like in 10 years when they're running the workforce? Like if something goes wry, mm-hmm. how do you handle that? You don't have any of the tools to handle that when something goes wrong. Well, so, you know, what's interesting is so a part of what I do also in my practice is I have a corporate wellness business where I go into different companies uh, mm-hmm. in New York and work with a lot of type A New Yorkers. Uh, who are stressed and and overwhelmed at work. And um, what I notice about the workplace is that there is a shift in change and you can see it on TikTok too, right? There's all these different like quiet quitting, like rage applying, like all these different kind of backlash around corporate work and, and how people are treated. And I think, you know, people who are like my age or older will often say, well, I don't understand. Like they just don't want to work. But, you know, the reality is too, is that like, as a human being, we only have a certain amount of capacity to be able to like work and work in the way that we're working now. Right. Which is like staring at a computer, sitting at a desk, uh, which is not healthy for our bodies and our minds and our eyes, you know, on a regular basis. And so, so I understand that a lot of these like TikTok trends and a lot of this like kind of you know, coddle. Well, I wouldn't say it's calling, but it's it's more about like people really wanting to like set boundaries that are appropriate. And I think we're trying to figure out what those are, right? So yeah. it's not being in a cave with pillows every time you you were stressed out and overwhelmed and 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 being traumatized by everything. It, there's a, a medium, there's a happy medium, and I think we're just really trying to figure that out. And I think the younger generation is kind of like helping to move that a bit forward because also what they're doing is they're doing stuff like cold plunges, right? They're like they're yeah. Yeah. they're pushing their their nervous system to like get activated in a, in a way so that they can like manage uh, stress um, and overwhelm because there has been like a lot of coddling and there's been a lot of, I mean, you know, just in terms of our environment with, we have ACs, we have heaters, like, you know, we're not, our bodies right. are not used to being like uh, being pushed in a, in a way. So I think that there's a very, there's a similar parallel there around like our emotional health and well being, And I think we're, I think we'll figure it out. I feel positive about that. There was an interesting fact about um, peanut allergies. Like peanut allergies used to be rare, but now since there's like this overblown, like keep them away, keep them out. Like they, they, you can't even have food that is made in the same factory as peanuts since it's like now all of a sudden peanut allergies are, are high, you right. know, among kids because of, you know, we've just been, 
it's like a vaccination, you know, like you have to, you have to get that, the little virus in you so you can, you know, become immune to it and start to immune it. Like, you know, and I yes. feel like if you just take it away completely, if you get exposed to it, then you're going to freak out. Yes. Your body will freak out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a, I, and there's been a, actually not just with peanut allergies, lots of different food allergies have increased over the last several years. And I, I would also say can't discount the chemicals that we've introduced into the world that yeah. probably have also had an impact on how our bodies and systems are reacting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cause we shouldn't, we really shouldn't be allergic to trees. And <laughs> like, I mean, it's been going on for, you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Millions and millions of years. It's, it's very strange. So there's, I think there's something else that we're doing too, in addition to the coddling and not like kind of the exposure, but yeah. also there's, there's lots of stuff going on in our, in our environment that, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever have the answer or know exactly, but it's, um, there's a lot of chemicals that are just wreaking havoc on our body that are okay. And that may be actually contributing to all these other things that seem like they wouldn't even like that. They're not even connected. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure you're exactly right on that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to ask you what your diet's like. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier. Like you're, you're pretty strict on what you put into your body. Well, I would love to say that Jay, but you know, I am a human <laughs> being. Um, and it's interesting that you're asking this because I was just telling my friend the other day. Um, so I am generally paleo after okay. doing research and also listening to my body, which I think is the most important thing. So, you know, I have friends that are vegetarian mm -hmm. and that's in, that's what they eat. And like, they feel best doing that. I am paleo. That's what I feel best kind of doing generally. Uh, but I did a 5k Spartan race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> October 1st. It was a very interesting experience. So I had to start like running and doing training and oh my gosh, Jay, I had never had cravings for carbs and ice cream. Oh and I yeah. Even, I don't even like ice cream that Get much. That pizza like, in you. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so crazy. It was so crazy. <laughs> and usually like I have this part of me that's like, okay, Victoria, I, I know that you want the ice cream, that soft serve ice cream. Yes, it's delicious, but you know, there's sugar in it and then there's these chemicals in it and you don't want that in your body. The, that part of me the other, <laughs> was just like, just was not listened to at all. Cause the other part was like, no, we're going to 83rd street and we're going to go to that soft serve ice cream place that has the best ice cream and you're going to oh, get yeah. it. And that's, that's what we're doing. Live a little. <laughs> and but, did you get it? You ended up going and getting it? I did. I, I, well, I, I did. I actually g gave into the cravings more often. So I guess what I'm saying is I gave into the cravings more often than I thought I ever would. And I think really the lesson for me and maybe the lesson for everybody here is it's like, you know, what are you doing? behaviorally what's going on in your life that's stressful that's taking you away from how you want to be eating and how you want to take care of yourself now doing like running more and training for the 5k sprint i think was it was good for me but it also kind of just triggered my body to want more like sugar and carbs because it needed it right and then now it's more and, addictive than cocaine or could be right, right? <laughs> And so now that I'm not training in the same way that those, those 
it, it decreased, like the cravings have decreased. I haven't had a craving mm. for ice for a soft serve ice cream since the beginning of October. So I, I think it's really listening to your body, understanding it, and then figuring out what do you, what works best for your body and what do you, wh like, what do you want to like kind of aim for? Um, whether it's, you know, good, like functional gut, you know, no, yeah. you know, bloating or, um, or, you know, problems with your, a lot of times, you know, people will have dermatology problems and a lot of it is, has to do with, uh, certain things that they're eating or, or not eating. Um, you know, we just, we're talking about like vitamins and minerals and how important those are. There's more of those in, in non-processed foods and vegetables and fruits and some meats and fish and all, and, and some carbs, um, and grains. So it's, it's like trying to figure out, well, what does your body need and giving it to, to giving it to your body in a way, um, that is less processed. So you're not getting those chemicals, I guess, to mm -hmm. go back to this, the other point that you were just talking about that are in our, that are in our environment for really, you know, not good reason, but that we're in ingesting anyways, if we're having like processed foods. So yeah, I try to stay away from processed foods. Definitely. Same here, same here. And that's something you notice when you go to a different country, if you've ever been that like you can eat sure. different things and you feel so good. You don't get that bloat. You don't feel like shit. You feel good. You don't feel mentally fogged in other countries. Whereas out here, there's definitely something going on in our diet and our food that they're putting. Uh, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. The way, yeah. well, the way they, I mean, you're so right. I went to Italy and mm -hmm. I don't eat pizza here, but I was eating pizza like nobody's business there. And I was yeah. fine. It was delicious. And my body was able to digest it well. But here it's a very different story. It's the way in which we grow like the wheat and, and the pesticides and herbicides that are sprayed on it that Lord impact yeah, that impact our gut microbiome and impact our um this thing called leaky gut. Yeah, which, you know, if you have that, then you have like uh, internal inflammation in your body, which impacts your mental health and your yep. wellness. So in your body and your ability to digest things. So, you know, it's it, you can go down a real big rabbit hole. Oh, uh, yeah. The book I recommend if you really want to go down this rabbit hole is uh, the Dorito effect. Nice. The Dorito effect. All right. I'll get that. Have you heard, heard it? it? It's nope. really, really good. It's, it's about his, the history about basically the Doritos and how uh, chemical things that are supposed to taste like nutrients to our brains are really like are really chemic made in a lab and put on food. And our brain is like, oh, I'm getting the taste of cheese or tomato. In oh, terms God. Of Dorito. Yeah. But what's happening is you're getting the taste of it, but your brain is, you're not getting the nutrients. So your brain wants even more of it. And then you can get addicted to some of these chemicals. Uh, and it's a crazy situation. So our food system is, needs some help in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you seen the, uh, the, there's like three countries where like the, uh, the health, the main health officer, I forgot what it's called, but they're like all overweight. I think it's like, Germany, like the, the person that runs their health is like, honest to God, like 350 pounds is, I, I just, I can't take that seriously when I see stuff like that. It's, it's like a joke in itself when I, ugh, it's just, yeah, well, it's, and it's hard though, first, cause you know, look, our bodies are, are also meant to hold on to fat in case like there's a, a, a famine 
And so, you know, once you've gained weight, they, you know, they basically say the best thing to do to, you know, lose weight is not gain it. Because once you gain weight, your body is always trying to go back to that, the highest weight. So that, really? yeah, yeah. So a lot of times people will have that. I mean, this, I think with the, there's a, some research around like the biggest loser and people like doing after they've done like the biggest loser and then they kind of follow them, they end up gaining their, the weight back. Unfortunately, most people do. Is it because they're not disciplined? It's, it's because your body is against you. (laughs) It really is. And it's really about like, you have to re, you have to like kind of re reconfigure it and and like intermittent fasting is helping helps to do that because you there's yeah intermittent fasting helps to do that um you know decreasing sugar helps to do it um there's exercise definitely but you know for some people that's not enough and so they have to kind of figure out with their with the, with their doctor, what other things that they can, they can do, because there's also, you know, what ends up, people don't really know why people have still like hold on to weight and gain weight, but there is definitely a subset of people that have a lot of problems when yeah. they're overweight, losing weight, even with the, the calories in calories out, doesn't, doesn't work like that for everyone. I wonder if it's because their guts have been compromised. Cause they were treating that thing like a damn jungle gym for like the past 20 years, you know? And it's just like, you can do everything you can, but your gut has just been through so much that, yeah, your body's just probably always working against you. That's so true. And I, and I, and to go back to the earlier point around like chemicals and Mm -hmm. additives and all of those things are scientifically made to taste good and, and, and our bodies don't even know what to do with that. So, so, you know, if you've been eating food like that for 20 years, because it does taste good and it does make you feel better, you know, whenever you're stressed or overwhelmed, like you go to things that make you feel comfort, like salt, sugar, fat, like that's like, it's just like what we do as humans. And so, um, all of these foods, especially, you know, back in the day, like, you know, the grains in particular was like yeah. the biggest thing that we should be eating. Well, now we know that's actually not true. And so people have been eating this way for such a long time that I do think that you're right. Their gut and their, and the, the hormones, their, their satiety hormones and, um, the hunger hormones, all of that yeah. have been impacted in a way that I think makes it so much more complicated than just like the calories in and calories out. So that's why it's really important to talk to your doctor and and also see like maybe a therapist who has training in, in weight management um, because it's, it's all, there's all, a lot of mental part uh, aspect to this too. The damn food companies used to tell us that a, a bowl of like, apple jacks and a glass <laughs> of milk was a balanced breakfast. There's like 7,000, grams of sugar between those two you were <laughs> well, saying yeah. that's a balanced breakfast get the hell out of here and it wasn't just that jay it was also <laughs> juice i remember yeah. that in my head juice and toast on the side oh yeah there's it's no so vegetables bad. no vegetables no like fruit even uh I know. orange juice is just like practic. it's sugar yeah I mean, that's a shot of crack <laughs> so no <doubt. laughs> So, I mean, we've really been like 
lied to and bamboozled in many ways. And that's why like learning about all this stuff is so important. And, and that's why, you know, in my practice, you know, even though it's more kind of, you know, psychodynamically oriented, it's wellness oriented. It's like, okay, well, what are you eating? And how are you like sleeping? Are you getting out and taking walks? Are you seeing the sun in the morning? Are you doing, doing all the, these things that we know yeah. that are helpful for your mental health and wellness so that we can work on some of these other things too? You're doing the full spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, yeah, you can't separate your mind and body. Yeah. I drink a lot. To. I drink Kambuka and that like probiotics should be, that's another thing that I think should be involved in people's diets as well. It's probiotics. I'm glad that you said that. Yes. That would be my fourth recommendation is probiotics. And if you could do it, a lot of people do take probiotic pills. Um, yeah. they, they can be helpful. Again, the research on that is like limited uh, although there are some, there are some good studies, but what I've heard, um, in other research is that four servings of some sort of probiotic food has been, is, is shown to be even better. So kombucha is oh. one, like natto, which is like a fermented, like a bean that, uh, people in Japan eat, uh, yeah. tea, sauerkraut, mm -hmm. yogurt, kefir. There's like a bunch. And, and one thing I would say too, is if you know what you're like, your heritage is try to find um a fermented food from your heritage if as much as possible because then that that will i think also help i mean there's no studies about that but i i, I believe that that makes sense what's your heritage so my mom is um french canadian and native american and no dutch and then my dad is from puerto rico Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're, so what do you eat? Fermented Buffalo or what? Or what <laughs> That's really good. Well, you know, I, I have not found any fermented foods on either side. Well, actually the French there's creme fraiche, but it's really hard to get fermented like creme fraiche. So, um, I just actually go for kombucha because I yeah. like it and kimchi. I love kimchi. So yes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dang, let me ask you one more question, then we'll wrap it up here. I appreciate you being here. You're such a wonderful guest. Uh, tell me what a guilty pleasure of yours is. Like, do you like watching the Kardashians? Do you like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do have, uh, guilty pleasure. Okay, well, since you brought up shows, uh, yeah. I have watched all of the seasons of Love is Blind. <laughs> How many sittings? One sitting? You just went through all of them? No, no. So they kind of, they drop them like every six months or a year or something. And um, yeah, it, it, and then they kind of like spread it out a little bit over a couple of weeks. So it's a little more manageable. I don't feel as guilty because I don't watch it all in one sitting. Was that the show like where the room is completely black and people just talk to each other? No, 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 Jay. What's this, Love oh, is Blind? You're, you're going to be amazed. <laughs> this is what it is. They're uh, like 20 single people uh -huh. uh, looking for marriage. And they're in these pods where they can't see each other. So they go on these dates and over, I think, I think it's two weeks or three weeks or something like that. They kind of narrow down just a couple of couples that have really hit it off. And then they ask each other to, well, one, usually the man asks the woman to marry, marry them. Without even they, seeing them. They don't meet them. Exactly. Ooh. Love is blind. This is what it is. <laughs> And then there's a big reveal. And then after, Jay, they go to Mexico oh my for God. like a week. And they spend time to, with each other, getting to know each other. And then they spend like 
two weeks in their like hometowns, whatever it is, like the last time they were in Houston, I think they were in Seattle one time anyways. And then they, then they have to, this is the crazy thing. They have to get to the altar and then that's when they decide whether or not they want to get married. So they have like this whole wedding. And so one person can say yes. And another person can say that is wild. Yeah. Being a psychotherapist, you love that. (laughs) There's probably so much that goes into that. I do. I do. And I've used it in, believe it or not, in some of my, my sessions, especially around dating. Oh, so it's not even a guilty pleasure. That's work. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) What about you? Do you have one? Oh boy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I watch any, I like uh, stupid horror movies, like stupid. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just horror movies where people are in high school or college and it's really corny. It's like your low-ended scary movies. That's that's my guilty pleasure. I love oh, that stuff nice. so much. Yeah. <laughs> there was one that came out, I think it was on Prime called Totally Killer. Did you see that one yet? Nope, but I'm writing it down. It's good. You'll, you'll <laughs> good. like it. It's a good one. <laughs> And it like there's even some time travel, you know, not to spoil it, but like it's interesting. You'll like it. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, dang. All right, Victoria, I appreciate you being here. You're a wonderful guest, very knowledgeable. I'm glad someone like you is in the that industry and doing your arts there. Awesome. Um, is there take a second and give people how they can reach out to you or like if you have a website, any books coming out? Uh, I need to write a book. That's you do. For sure. But, uh, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram. Generally every Wednesday I post something around mental health and wellness. It's just free mental health tips, uh, particularly, you know, around things that are going on. Uh, so it's at wellness psychotherapist on Instagram. And, uh, I have a website. It's mostly geared toward corporate wellness because I've been working more with companies and corporations on, a lot of these things, because, you know, a lot of this, these things that we talked about, supplements and like, you know, mm-hmm. diet and th- those kinds of things, um, I don't ever really get to in my individual sessions, but I love it and, and, and I want to share the knowledge that I have. So, so that's why I do the corporate wellness stuff to help employees and companies create cultures of well-being and wellness. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you again for being here and everyone listening. Be good to yourself. Check out uh, Victoria Rivera and go watch Love is Blind. Later.